0: you. Uh-huh. everybody. Welcome to the February 5th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Zutti. Thank you very much for joining us. You know, there's some weeks when you know just before the show gets started, you know you're going to have a really great show. I can guarantee this one's at least going to be uh, a rocking good time. Trust me on this one. Let's get a quick take on Denver Mayor Michael Hancock's handling of the costs of his trip to the Super Bowl. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Now, two years ago, Hancock got in some hot water about having a uh, a private uh, organization or somebody paying for it. So this time, the city of Denver is footing the bill. The right way to handle it?
1: And he's not taking mom on the corporation (laughs) dollar. You know, God may strike me dead, but I'm going to say yes. It makes sense for the mayor of Denver to be able to go to the Super Bowl as the representative of the city Denver Broncos are playing. He's the representative. So I think that's fine. I don't know if you need two security people because I can't imagine a lot of people are going to be paying attention to him. Um, I'm not sure you need two staffers. But for the city to pay for at least the mayor to go is the right way to, right way to do it.
0: David Copel from the Institute and DU Law School. Uh, as as uh, Patty pointed out, it's not just Mayor Hancock but two security guards and two staffers. That's five folks on Denver's dime. The right call?
2: If it Well, it, it complies apparently with Denver's ethics rules, So and they, they checked on that, so that that's good. If you've got that kind of money to spend, don't come back to the taxpayers and say we're so poor, we've got to take more money out of your pocket.
0: <laughs> Eric Son, a political analyst. Now, uh, his colleague across uh, uh, Broadway over there, uh, Governor Hickenlooper, is footing his own way, but obviously has a little bit of a different background. We need to be fair about that. Is Hancock handling this the right way?
3: He's handling it in an improved way than he did two years ago. Hopefully the Broncos handled it in an improved way than they did two (laughs) years ago. I have to believe that when it's Gary Kubiak or Peyton Manning, whoever is up there in front of the team giving the pregame speech, it's not going to be win it because Michael's here. Uh, You wonder, I get, I'm with Patty. It's fine for the mayor to go. It is the Denver Broncos. But I guess I'm a little bit over all of the bandwagon bandwagon jumping by politicians whenever a team is winning and going to a Super Bowl, and that they have to be there. I also rolled my eyes a little bit. I'm not going to comment on the mayor's security needs. If he needs a couple guards, take a couple guards. I don't know why he needs staffers. Uh, He's going to be a spectator. I don't think he needs talking points. Uh, So I'm not sure what that's quite about, but um, go Broncos.
0: (laughs) And rounding out the panel, Joey Bunch, political reporter over the
4: Denver Post. Uh, Did this create any, uh, any waves over at the Capitol? Well, not at the Capitol, you know, because Hickenlooper pays his own way. Of course, Hickenlooper also donates his salary to charity. He's a wealthy man. Michael Hancock, maybe not. You know, I, I think it's unanimous. I think we all agree that this is the right way to handle it. But it feels wrong. It looks wrong. And in politics, perception is reality. So, you know, I looked this up. The average per capita, or the per capita income in Denver is 34000 a year. Two years ago, Hancock spent $40,000 on that trip. If I'm the average wage earner in Denver I'm saying that's a lavish expense and he is he's taken two security guards he's taken two staffers and one of those staffers is a PR person he's taking his entire family Um, I don't know you know we'll see if Michael Hancock wants to run for higher office he's going to have a hard time saying you know I'm down here on the ground with the people after he's been up there flying with the Eagles so we'll see
0: we'll see indeed the Iowa caucuses officially kicked off the presidential primary season this week, one that Colorado joins in less than a month. While Ted Cruz won Iowa, Marco Rubio's third-place finish also made headlines. Meanwhile, Hillary's victory by less than 1% has given the Sanders campaign a definite boost. Patty, uh, as we said, Colorado joins this fray in just three weeks. What did we see out of Iowa that you think that will affect what's going on here in Colorado?
1: Uh, Probably nothing because we've got so many more important primaries before we get to the not particularly important Colorado caucus. It was fascinating Tuesday night just watching how close Bernie was coming to Hillary and when you were thinking he was polling at, what, 7% a year ago? And that he came within a a fraction of a percentage point of Hillary had to scare the pantsuit off of Hillary. It certainly, um, mainstream Democrats have got to be really concerned about that. And then, of course, the other really amazing thing to watch was how Rubio kept coming up and coming up and coming up. Not a huge surprise that Ted Cruz would take the top spot, but that Trump was falling down and Rubio almost caught him um, really speaks for the rise that Rubio's on. And if it carries through in New Hampshire, that's going to make a big difference in what's good, whether or not we have a, what, a what are they calling it a Trumper tantrum now? <laughs> if he falls any further and if he falls below and doesn 't win in New Hampshire, I think we 'll see a major trumper tantrum
0: <laughs> I think you 're absolutely right about that one uh, david you 've been one of our uh, good soothsayers around the table talking about both uh, the effectiveness of the Sanders campaign and uh, the effectiveness of the Rubio campaign. Both of those uh, seem definitely came true in Iowa. Do you think that momentum is going to continue
2: uh, Well, Bernie, by all accounts is going to win. New Hampshire, and if in fact if he wins it by less than 30, uh, Hillary will have exceeded expectations. Of course, after this, there's there's South Carolina, more of her type state, and 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 on and on. So the the Hillary scenario is oh, we will start to run the table after this. I don't think that works. I think Bernie, with his large base of devoted followers and small donors, is going to have the money to stay in this all the way. Um, and we could very easily get to the 2008 situation where even after the last person has voted nobody has a majority and it's up to the superdelegates uh, who are a large share of the democratic uh, convention voting uh, to decide which makes the colorado caucus on march first very important obama killed her at that in 2008 because he far out organized her i think she's learned from that so i think we'll have a one of the best democratic caucuses ever with two well organized teams um, on the Republican side, I think there is a possibility that Marco Rubio is going to do, could do what Gary Hart did. Gary Hart came in second in New Hampshire, in Iowa at like 14 percent or 17 percent, to like Mondale, who was up at, in the 40s, in 1984. Hart got a bounce and attention out of that. The last poll in New Hampshire had him at 21 percent. He won the New Hampshire primary with 37. New Hampshire voters strongly believe it's, they take it seriously, and it's their responsibility to not make up their minds with finality uh, until then. So I, I think there's a sh- real chance for Rubio upset. Um, and I also predict that we'll probably have four candidates coming out of New Hampshire, the top three from Iowa, um, and somebody else, most likely uh, John Kasich, is going uh, to emerge. Kasich's main problem is he has no organization and no money for after New Hampshire, but you know, maybe that will start to develop.
0: I'm not going to argue with uh, the soothsayers, and you've been on a pretty good roll here lately. Eric, when you look at the results from Iowa, um, do we have our three main uh, runners? Is the rest of the,
3: the, the slate for the Republicans uh, obsolete at this point? somebody off of that rest of the slate is going to have to show and show quickly and probably show in New Hampshire. The other people competing in the establishment lane of that party, mainly Kasich and Christie and Jeb Bush, have really banked everything on New Hampshire. Kasich said as much on television yesterday. I I differ with David. I agree with a lot of what David said. I differ a little bit about Kasich because the real value of Iowa in this race and in previous years is the bounce factor. It is not that Iowa itself is determinant. Ask President Huckabee about Iowa. Ask President Santorum about Iowa. They both won the last two cycles out. So it is not determinant, and Cruz may follow in that pattern but it provides a bounce and a springboard into the next primaries. Rubio is the biggest beneficiary of that bounce in my mind and I think that probably comes at the expense of the Kasichs and Bushes and Christie's of the world when, when you get to New Hampshire. Trump's whole persona in this race, I mean the word that he attaches to himself like glue, is winner. I'm a winner, all you other suckers are losers. Well all of a sudden when you don't win, What happens to that persona? And it took a beating on Tuesday night, or excuse me, Monday night in Iowa. If it takes a second beating in New Hampshire, even though he's still up in the polls, but Rubio may be closing based on that bounce, uh, we'll see how Trump handles it quickly on the Democratic side. I'm just left with the notion, you know, it was a, what, two tenths of a point spread between them. Uh, Bernie Sanders is no Barack Obama. Barack Ob- it's understandable why Hillary Clinton lost to Barack Obama eight years ago. He's a once-in-a-generation, if not once-in-a-lifetime political talent, or at least he was circa 2008. She even came in behind John Edwards in Iowa, let's not forget, uh, eight years ago. Bernie Sanders is no Barack Obama, and yet she is in the fight of her life and is laboring hard to dispatch this guy. The polls nationally, even though I think she's still the presumptive candidate, are closing, and it shows her weaknesses and vulnerabilities as a candidate.
0: Joey, when you saw the results and then were around all the different uh, lawmakers and other folks as political reporters apt to do th- this week, did you get any sense of the Colorado reaction to the results?
4: Yeah, and you know, I, everybody raises good points, but I think I disagree with all of them because <laughs> the um, too much emphasis is put on Iowa. Iowa's not Colorado. Iowa not hardly anybody else. Iowa, there are more pigs than people in Iowa. You know, it's not a state that represents America, but what Iowa and New Hampshire do is artificially thin the field. It, it Clears people out, and then that support goes somewhere else. Hillary Clinton's got a problem. She needs to get rid of Bernie Sanders sooner rather than later because I think there are problems coming sooner rather than later on these emails. And the longer he hangs around, the harder it is going to be for her to hang on to that lead. Over on the Republican side, you know, you've got. Uh, Cruz and Trump at the top right now, out coming out of New Hampshire, I just don't think that they can attract millennials. I don't think that they can attract moderates at all. So that leaves you with Rubio. And Rubio is a guy who can attract moderates. He is a guy who can pull a few percentage points out of that Hispanic block. He's a guy who can, who can bring in millennials. So, you know, if, if the Republicans put out somebody that, that can't beat Hillary or can't beat Bernie, you know, we may be voting in November on two unelectable candidates, and Republicans will have nobody but themselves to blame when when they wake up on the day after the election and they're saying President Bernie.
0: Wouldn't be the first sign the party shoots themselves in the foot. We'll see what happens. Complete Colorado released an in-depth report this week about Calvin Johnson, a former parolee who allegedly killed a man on New Year's Day. The report highlights DOC Deputy Director of Parole Allison Morgan referring to Johnson as a success story of its parolee transitional program just two weeks before the murder. David, obviously this is a very embarrassing thing for the DOC as an agency. Is it a big enough deal that Hickenlooper has to look into how it's being managed or just embarrassing?
2: i the DOC has had lots of problems, and the uh, state legislators who focus on these issues, like the the, the joint budget committee type people, they they've known about this broader problem with DOC management for a while. Governor Hickenlooper was a successful businessman, and one of the pe- reasons people vote for sometimes a businessman, especially for an executive job, is being good at management, but. I'd suggest that the DOC is not the only place in our Colorado executive branch which has tremendous management problems. Um, There's another story in the Denver Post, besides covering this issue, uh, problems in the Department of Human Services, where they are now finally, sort of, coming into compliance maybe with the law about how fast they're supposed to give mental health evaluations to people who've been arrested and are raising insanity as a defense, and then if well, if it turns out they are insane, uh, then putting them into a treatment facility where they, they can be cared for. Uh, and there's, there's a lawsuit going on in federal court, and the Department of Human Services is like, oh, everything's fine now, why don't you get rid of the lawsuit? And the, the view of the court seems to be, no, you're, uh, there's still a long way to go before we can say you're in compliance with the law. So... <coughs> I'd like the governor to spend less time on thinking of ways to make the government bigger until he makes this existing government more competent.
0: Eric, this is a pretty big uh, PR black eye as the report comes out. If they came to you for advice, whether it be the agency or Governor Hickenlooper, what's what's the first way to handle this kind of thing?
3: Oh, give me a retainer would be the first way, no, I'm sorry, that's too too easy and uh, too cynical. Uh, First of all, I want to start with kudos to Todd Shepard at Complete Colorado. That was a a strong Mm -hmm. bit of original reporting on the part of Todd and on the part of Complete Colorado to break this story and the linkage of Allison Morgan's comments. Uh, In terms of public relations advice, you have to grab the bull by the horns. You can't look like, if you're the governor or the head of the Department of Corrections, you can't look like you're a victim. You can't look in the defensive mode. You have to be assertive and affirmative and grab the bull by the horns. That's often easier said than done. The warning signs here were multiple in terms of this guy being off the rails, not being a good risk. And for of all the candidates, the parolees, that they wanted to hold up as a as a poster child, you wonder how in the world um, they, they picked uh, this one. It is an embarrassment. One embarrassment you, you can get your way through. The question is, is it a, a precursor? Is it a canary in a coal mine? Mm-hmm. And are, Because if there's another case or another case after that with similarities, then it gets really hard to explain or defend. Joey, did this raise eyebrows over at Capitol Hill?
4: Yeah, I sure did. But you know, the Department of Corrections has had problems for years, and there's a sense in the State House that it's It's on its way up, but this tells me this is a slow climb and it's still got a ways to go. And I want to agree with Eric that Todd Shepard deserves a lot of credit for this story. He spotted it. He stayed with it. He made the connections. Just good journalism across the board. So he's to be congratulated for that. You know, I listened to the tapes of that hearing, and I never heard why he was was called a success, but I, I never heard why. You know, he's living in a tent in an alley that his parole officers had to take up a collection to give to him. There were all these times that, you know, he had acted out. Allison Morgan even said in the hearing that he tries to u- turn the parole officers against each other. You know, if this guy's a success story, then I must be the king of the world. You know, I, I just don't know how this story ever got started, that he was somebody that she should be bringing up to legislators as, look at what a great job we're doing. Patty, is this a big enough deal
0: where there's going to be some big movement within the agency?
1: Well, we've already seen some movement within the agency, which is on Monday, an announcement that there was a new PR person and (laughs) spokesperson for the Department of Corrections. So, now, interestingly, that followed an announcement the day before. We may recall that there's a DOC employee who was involved in the shootings. At the National Western Complex. So that announcement came Sunday, and then the next morning we get the announcement of the new PIO at the Department of Corrections. So they've got some big problems, some small ones, but clearly whoever did the vetting for what Allison Morgan was going to talk about, if that is the best example we have of our parole system working, we definitely have problems at the Department of Corrections.
0: New U.S. Senate hopeful and former CSU Athletic Director Jack Graham has hired longtime Republican strategist Dick Wadhams to run his upcoming campaign. Graham is the 13th GOP candidate looking to unseat Democratic incumbent Michael Bennett. Eric, for me, we hear one more GOP candidate that really didn't grab, that headline didn't grab me. But when I saw that he hired Dick Waddams, that seems to be a game changer for me. Dick Waddams for for folks new to the state, he was the guy that led the outward campaigns, that that those were pretty much an upset when he beat uh, Tom Strickland. He's uh, a big-time Republican strategist. Is that the game changer moment that I think it is?
3: I don't know if it's the game changer, but it is a major moment. Dick is a talented, talented political operative, political manager. In addition to his successes in Colorado, whether it's with Wayne Allard or Bill Owens or other, he's the guy who managed a relative unknown in South Dakota named John Stoon, Mm -hmm. who beat... Tom Daschle, the then-majority leader of the U.S. Senate, in one of the big Republican victories that's now a decade ago. So it is a major coup, a major uh, coup on the part of Graham. Uh, Patty, when it gets to be her turn, is going to name all 13 candidates, I believe, in reverse alphabetical (laughs) order. But, uh, you know, it, it is quite a field. Now, let's be clear, all 13 of them are not real, all 13 are not credible. But there are a solid handful and more than you can count on one hand who you could imagine as the nominee. It is a shorter number that you can imagine as a credible candidate, a viable candidate against Michael Bennett. I think that list might begin and end with people like this guy, Jack Graham, John Kaiser, the re- uh, state rep from uh, Jefferson County, who just resigned, who a lot of people had their eyes on, maybe a Ryan Frazier or some others. It's a much shorter list. It's going to be a free-for-all for for this nomination through the caucus process. I look for a a good number of these people to go around the caucus process and just petition onto the ballot. When you have that many candidates to get 30 percent of the vote, you just can't slice 100 percent of the delegates enough ways to get many people on with 30 percent threshold.
0: Joey, with 13 candidates involved, obviously there's – just trying to get name recognition out there. But there's this whole idea that actually DeGlott brought up about mm-hmm. being the outsider. Hey, this guy isn't a politician. That's why he didn't jump into now. And, in fact, I think there was an article this week about uh, – uh, uh, that Graham was a registered Democrat until about a year ago. So like, hey, this is proving that he's an outsider.
4: Is that very valuable this year? Well, I don't know. You know, he is – Portrayed as an outsider, but then he hired the ultimate insider to run his campaign. Good point. You know, Dick Waddams, it is hard to bet against Dick Waddams. He's like Steve Spurrier, the coach at Florida and South Carolina. They said that, you know, Spurrier would be a two point favorite on his own execution. Dick Waddams <laughs> is bad as well. So, you know, Dick bring, you know, not a lot of people know who Jack Graham is, but anybody who matters knows who Dick Waddams is. He's the former chairman of the state Republican Party. Mm -hmm. So he gives Jack Graham immediate gravitas and, and now people are paying attention and, you know, as Eric said, the, these voters are being broken into smaller and smaller pieces every time somebody gets into the race. So I think that gives an advantage to somebody like Tim Neville, who has a very distinct message that sets him apart from the group, and people are going to stick with him. So I don't know. It's very interesting. And, you know, last time we talked about a clown car, that so many people were in this race this become a clown car. And I said then, the clown car is not full. I'm saying again today, it's not full, and it may be a front seat that, that they're looking to fill.
0: Well, uh, we can't can't wait to to see what's going to happen to that clown car. Uh, Speaking of clown cars, Patty, regardless of who comes out of that clown car, is Michael Bennett sweating over any of these guys?
1: I don't think he's sweating yet. I mean, we can see what happens in the next three months, at the primary at the end of June. But let's remember when we talk about credible candidates, let's remember a gubernatorial candidate we had not so long ago emerging from the Republican Party through that same process. Dan Mays, who could have predicted that as the candidate of the Republican Party in Colorado? So we could have almost anything happen here when you think how you're going to split up 13 or 14 or 15 spots. I think we can say, safely say Tim Neville is definitely on the far right side of that, so he'll get a pretty big spot. Interesting with Graham, it's one thing to be an outsider, but it's another thing to be outside the party you're running for. So I'm guessing he will take some hits over the fact that he is a Johnny-come-lately to the Republican Party. It's going to be really fun. You know Wadhams would like to be the driver of that clown car, but whether he's going to be able to keep everyone in control on board that's gonna, that's gonna be a tough one.
0: David, with 13 folks so far uh, in the primary, uh, how ugly is it going to get?
2: Maybe not, because there's too much stuff around. Like, you know, if you're you're in a 13-person cage wrestling match, you don't really spend as much time singling out other people as you do just kind of improving your own uh, position. 1974, so as Eric said before the show, of these thirteen about half would be who you'd call serious candidates. So at that level this is like 1974 for the Democrats where we had five serious Democratic candidates, all of whom had plausibilities, none of whom were very well known to the general public. The guy who ended up uh, coming out of that was Gary Hart who ended up winning the Senate election and he and Peter Dominic, the incumbent, the good quality incumbent, two-term incumbent Republican senator who we beat, had some of the same vulnerabilities as Bennett. Is I think people in Colorado liked Dominic or Bennett themselves personally, uh, but they were tied to what had become a very unpopular president.
0: That's a good point. Uh, It's going to be definitely uh, fun to watch. And if you're playing CIO Bingo at home, if you had Gary Hart or Steve Spurrier, you've uh, definitely had a good game this uh, this show. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off.
1: Well, I would like to say all the bets that are going on back and forth over the Broncos which are getting so <laughs> ridiculous it's almost it's scary to open your email to see which one will come next but i have to give it to the VA center in Colorado Springs another good job of reporting by the AP that they have lied about what the wait time is that they are not serving their constituents and who deserves better service more than the veterans
2: here here david the one part of our state government which always seems to be spending its money effectively or at a high rate, the, the the film welfare board, which is now going to give a bunch of your money to present for the production of a pseudo fictional documentary about the murder of John Benet Ramsey. You know, in the olden days, media had to pay for its own way to come in here and do John Benet's stories. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Eric, well, I was going to go with Joey here for. <laughs> Failing to show up with any orange. I mean,
4: come (laughs) on.
3: It's two days before the Super Bowl. Good
4: Saints.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I didn't realize they were in the game. Uh, How about the the Wounded Warrior Project? Uh, Talk about people who are deserving uh, and have paid an incredible price for this country and the stories that have come out, the reporting that's been done about the overhead, the administrative bloat, the travel expenses, the perks. Uh, it it is just despicable what has become of that good
4: cause. Joey, my disgrace of the week and my good guy of the week are the same person, Representative Kevin Priola. The critics, the liberals are saying that, you know, he's, he's, he's a hypocrite. He had to postpone a vote on a bill that would allow parents to take off for, for their children's school activities. They had to postpone the bill because Kevin Triola had to take his child to the doctor. But then he comes back and he votes against it. And, you know, there's a difference there. You know, the liberals aren't right about this because it's one thing to, to ask for time off. Any of us can do that. But it's another thing to say, employers, you've got sure. to do it. But again, you know he's got designs on the state senate. He's going to have to answer for this on the campaign trail.
0: See something nice about somebody,
2: Patty? Uh,
1: Colorado's historic preservation fund just gave another big round of grants to historic buildings across Colorado, which brings it up to about seven million this year. And we also have some new places that are endangered but will be saved, like the Leadville Opera House, which uh, the Tabor Opera House in Leadville, which Leadville now owns, and the state helped them help them with some of the funding.
2: David. The United States uh, Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in Maryland, which reversed a lower court opinion which had upheld uh, a 2013 magazine ban in Maryland. Eric.
3: I'm going to go with the Broncos, but I'm specifically going to go with Peyton Manning. Hopefully he ends a career, because I do believe this will likely be his final game. Hopefully he ends it with a W and goes off into the sunset a la John Elway or Ray Bork with the Avalanche or whatever. But win or lose, it has been a treat for Denver and for Colorado to watch him play here for four years uh, at the end of his career. And all I can say is, as a spectator, uh, it has been special. And also, uh, not just the quarterback, but the man and the involvement he's had in this community, the money he's given away to good causes.
4: Mm -hmm. Joey. Uh, Representative, maybe you people have heard of him, Kevin Priola. <laughs> Kevin, uh, Kevin and Representative Eulon Willett uh, have ran separate bills to do away with regulations that no longer serve a purpose. Get them off the books. And Republicans are doing a lot of that this succession. And I remember what the Republican leader in the House said at the Denver Chamber of Commerce breakfast. It's one thing to say that you support small business. It's another thing to be able to show you're doing something about it. So give give Representative Priola and Willett credit for... for talking the talk and walking the walk. Let's see if the House Republicans continue to do that.
0: That is all the time we had tonight for Colorado Inside Out. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in on Sunday right after the big game when we broadcast Run, Boy, Run, a winner at the Colorado Jewish Film Festival last year. It's a great uh, film. You will not want to miss it. And on Tuesday, the third season of Street Level continues. This time we go to 13th Avenue on Tuesday at 7 p.m. As always, remember to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes and our web-exclusive segments on Twitter. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good
2: night. <music>